This podcast contains graphic details about a horrendous crime which may not be suitable for all listeners. Welcome to Crimes Without Convictions with Sabrina Salas-Matinani taking a closer look at criminal cases on Guam where in some instances justice may not have been served and crimes that have gone unsolved. This is Episode 1, Innocence Lost. A life cut too short. We take you back to February 1996, when the body of a four-year-old girl was found dead in a trash can outside a home in Jigo. She was badly beaten, raped, and murdered. We got up there, and, uh, you know, it was a report of a, a missing girl. And uh, there, there was a search by being conducted by patrol, and uh, we were notified of the discovery of the body. Before he was the chief of police, Steve Ignacio spent several years as an investigator with the criminal investigation section. He recalls the afternoon he received the phone call to respond to a neighborhood in Jigo to assist with the search for four-year-old Deanna Ollie. For several hours, police scoured the Marianas Terrace neighborhood until they made the shocking discovery. And I think what sticks out uh, the most for me is uh, the age of the victim. I, I can't think of any other case still to this day, my 32 years in the Guam Police Department, where we've had uh, a victim uh, at such a young age of a, what you know, was later was determined to be a, uh, a, a, a rape, a strangulation, uh, and the eventual killing or the homicide of uh, Deanna Ali. And, uh, you know, it was... It was, you know, um, I was just sat, you know, uh, at the time, you know, uh, 1996, I, I had uh, one daughter and, uh, you know, she was probably all of, she was still a minor, you know, was very young. Um, so, you know, it was very di- disturbing. My daughter was only nine years old at the time. It's disturbing as a police officer and uh, disturbing as a father, uh, you know, that somebody would, uh, you know, uh, kill uh, such a young, innocent person. Deanna was living with her father, 39-year-old David Ollie, who was serving in the U.S. Navy at the time. Uh, the night before Deanna Ollie got killed, uh, her father had pretty much sponsored uh, a, a, a barbecue and a gathering at his house uh, involving multiple people. Some some people are understanding that, if I remember correctly, some people he didn't even know, but he was known to have parties on the street. And uh, it, it attracted, uh, you know, uh, young adults, uh, sometimes even minors, according to what we, we gathered. He got very drunk, fell asleep and woke up the next morning and couldn't find his daughter. And, you know, that's when panic set in and, you know, he called the police. As we know now, uh, her body was uh, stuffed. Her body was actually stuffed inside a trash can. And uh, they took folded uh, sheets and they tried to conceal the body, covering the, the body with uh, the uh, the folded sheets. Yeah. How far away was that trash can from the house? I believe it was the neighbor's trash can, or if not his trash can, if not uh, Mr. Ali's trash can. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right, right down the street, you know, right in the same area that we were searching. And then we were searching. You know, we were searching behind the house. We were going down. And there, there's a ponding basin there. At, uh, we were going down two or three blocks, uh, you know, the, the, the search area. According to Ignacio, days later, 18-year-old Bo Bruneman was arrested 
On February 22, 1996, he was then indicted for aggravated murder and first-degree criminal sexual conduct. Court documents state that Deanna was raped, sodomized, and asphyxiated by manual strangulation. Crime scene evidence revealed pubic hairs in the victim's bed, the trash bag where she was stuffed, and in her anal vault. The hairs were analyzed by the Hair and Fibers Unit of the Crime Laboratory of the Federal Bureau of Investigations. The analysis yielded findings that the hairs were found to be inconsistent with those originating from the victim's father, but consistent with Bruneman. Police and the Attorney General's office felt they had a solid case. The evidence, uh, I think we all felt, was overwhelming. Uh, we had uh, uh, DNA. Um, you know, the, the, the case was pretty awful. And uh, we had uh, pubic hair consistent with Bo Bruneman's pubic hair that was uh, found in the victim's anal vault. Uh, and her blood uh, was... Uh, all over his uh, underwear. It was a a pretty horrible case. Before Tom Fisher was in private practice, he served as a prosecutor at the Attorney General's office. And back in 1996, he was tasked to bring Bo Bruneman to justice. It affected a lot of people. Uh, There were calls on Island for the uh, institution of the death penalty. Uh, There was just outrage when the facts of the case uh, were leaked, but when they were presented uh, into the uh, community, um, you know. The trial commenced in November of 1998, and although it would appear to be an open and shut case with all of the evidence, proving Bruneman was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt became a difficult task as defense attorney Paul Vernier would give rise to questionable conduct and character of Deanna's father. And, uh, you know, one of the things that that was a challenge for him as a prosecutor was the father of the victim. So the father of the victim by no means was an angel. He was by no means, uh, I guess, fit to be Deanna's father. But uh, what even surprised me more is that uh, he had actually won custody of Deanna over the mother, uh, who I never we never met. Uh, she apparently they got divorced. He got custody of Deanna, and she moved off island. Uh, the father was an active duty service member of the Navy, and uh, the things that we uncovered at the house when we were searching it, you know, going through trying to figure out. Um, you know, collect evidence as to what had happened to Deanna. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we uncovered that was very damning against uh, Deanna's father was um, we found uh, pornographic material, uh, pornographic reading material that had a lot of uh, references to uh, incestuous relationships. You know, father-daughter mother son you know uh, that kind of themed uh, pornographic material and so you know of course you know a good defense attorney and uh, Bo Burnerman had a good defense attorney uh, he used that uh, he used that he used the fact that uh, Dan Ali was uh, father was a alcoholic you know he was a chronic alcoholic 
it's uh, if I'm not mistaken, we, we 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 uncovered information that he was actually kicked off the military base and forced to stay off base uh, because uh, he had been caught, uh, I believe, several times, if not a couple of times, uh, driving uh, under the influence on the military base. You know, so he was a threat to their military service members, so they, they forced him to move off base. And that's why that's how we ended up up at Michelle Terrace in Jingle. But you, you say, you know, and like you said, you guys had the DNA evidence, you had the circumstantial evidence. Uh, but then when defense attorney Paul Vernier uh, began bringing up Deanna Ollie's uh, father in terms yeah. of some of the pornographic incestuous type of reading materials that were found uh, in the house and in, in the closet, do you think that was like the, the turning point? Um, yeah, I suspect uh, we fought, uh, you know, tooth and nail uh, to keep, there was one magazine um, I don't know how graphic you want me to be, uh, but it was um, adult, incestuous, uh, heterosexual uh, uh, pornography uh, with some very, it was, as I recall, it was a series of uh, stories uh, collected in a uh, pornographic magazine and um, pretty lurid is what I recall. And Paul was able to, the judge uh, would not let the entire magazine in, but allowed the table of contents to come in, which uh, was as damaging as anything else. So I suspect um, that that, um, I, I, well, I think it injected reasonable doubt in the minds of the jurors. Yeah. And how hard was it? I mean, what did you do during the trial when that was uh, brought up? How did you try to come back from that? We tried to explain to the jury um, evidently without too much success, that this dealt with um, adult incest, uh, which was different from um, uh, sexual uh, attraction to uh, uh, children, minors. And we hoped that they would see that as, uh, you know, a, a material difference. I wasn't able to talk to any of the jurors, but I just suspect that uh, that was a turning point in the trial. On Monday, December 28th, 1998, Bruneman would eventually take the stand in his own defense. According to an article in the Marianas Variety written by reporter Eric Say, Bruneman told the jury, I did not kill Deanna Ollie. Bruneman then proceeded to detail the evening he met David Ollie. According to the Marianas Variety story, Bruneman testified that on the morning of February 15th, he decided not to go to work and instead went to a friend's house and began drinking. After consuming about six to seven shots, he and his friend went to a store and bought a case of beer and drank that. He then went to another store and bought three bottles of wine. By three o'clock that afternoon, he and his friend went to another store and bought a six-pack of beer and began drinking it while walking around Paris Acres. Bruneman then told the court that he had heard about a party in Marianas Terrace. It was around 8 p.m. when he came across David Ollie sitting outside his home. The two began talking, and Ollie gave him a rum and coke. Deanna, he said, was playing and riding her bicycle. Ollie eventually went to sleep in a room in the back of the house, leaving him with his daughter. Bruneman told the jury the only contact he had with Deanna was when she asked him to help her put a cartoon video in her room. 
Bruneman said that he went back to the living room and fell asleep. According to the article, the next thing he knew, he was being roused by Ollie, asking where his daughter was. When Bo Bruneman took the stand um, in his in his own defense, he was saying, you know, I didn't kill Deanna. I've been yeah. waiting all this time in jail uh, to tell my side of the story. When you heard him speak, telling his side of the, the story, what, what was going through, uh, I guess, your mind? Uh, I remember being frustrated. I think we had an evidentiary ruling. Bo, uh, the day he came over to the Ollie household, had actually broken into a house um, in that Marianas Terrace area. Uh, he'd uh, kind of uh, snuck into the house in the middle of the day. I think he probably stole some booze or something and uh, uh, was just generally on a tear, you know, up there. And um, I wanted to cross-examine Bo uh, on those issues, his behavior during the day. And I, 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 my recollection is that uh, the judge wouldn't allow us uh, to go into that. I, I think his theory might have been that it was too prejudicial. Um, so I do remember feeling frustrated. I felt like my hands were a little bit tied in conducting a cross-examination. And, you know, when you just you told me that, I just, I just, I had, actually I had forgotten that Bo was on the stand. Um, I just remember feeling a little bit frustrated about that. I wanted to go into that, you know. What, what are you doing all day? You're breaking into people's houses and so forth. But uh, the judge at the time felt that was too prejudicial. After six weeks of trial... On December 31st, 1998, closing arguments were delivered, and hours later, a 12-member jury found Bruneman not guilty. We, we were, we were, I don't know, dumbfounded, astonished, uh, kicked in the gut when we were, when we heard the verdict. Uh, we, we walked out. There was a, at least two or three of us uh, police officers who walked out of the courtroom. And uh, we went back to Pedro's Plaza. And uh, before we could get in the elevator, one of the officers just broke down crying. He was crying. He was a father. And he was crying and he was wondering, what did we do wrong? What did we miss? How could this be? You know, how could this be? We had DNA evidence. We, we had a good case. We, we felt we had a good case. How could this be that, you know, this guy was acquitted? And, uh, you know, we, we, we questioned that all the time. Even to this day, you know, we questioned how could this be? I can understand that because, you know, the, uh, the, the case was very difficult. Uh, the evidence was very difficult to deal with. Uh, the characters involved were very difficult to deal with. Um, and, you know, GPD, these are family, family, uh, family men and women. And Deanna was only four years old. And, the, you know, the, she was disposed of upside down in a garbage can um, that night. Uh, she had been uh, essentially tortured uh, before she died. Uh, it was a very, very difficult case, uh, and it doesn't surprise me that that sort of reaction came out of uh, GPD, but uh, in my estimation, GPD did nothing wrong. Uh, they conducted a very thorough investigation of the crime scene. Uh, there was no question about, you know, 
corruption or alteration of evidence or anything like that. Um, you know, the, those men and women at GPD at that time, you know, they put their heart and soul into this, into that case. Uh, prosecution did too. What about uh, with you when, when things really began to sink in? Did you ever think back, like, I should have done this? Maybe I should have said this? Absolutely. In fact, I still mm-hmm. do that to this day. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, when, when KOM uh, contacted me and told me they wanted to, you know, kind of have a look back at this case, you know, it, it really started bringing up a lot of uh, second guessing and regrets and so forth. But, uh, you know, it's been 23 years now, and I agree with Steve. This is a case I will never, never forget. Was a, it, was a, it was a very, very tough thing. Um, so I guess the short answer, yeah, I've uh, done a, I, mean, I have continually done an autopsy on that case, so to speak. So what, what do you think went wrong? Um, well, of course, uh, that piece of evidence we talked about at the start of this interview would, uh, uh, was unfortunate. Uh, the jury did not like uh, David Ollie, the, the child's father. Um, we put him on the stand and he had a very flat effect and um, was entirely unemotional and uh, didn't seem to be particularly invested in the case. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it was bad. We, the mother, Deanna's mother, didn't even want to come back for the trial. Uh, then David, as soon as he, David Ollie, as soon as he had finished testifying, as I recall, uh, uh, he was in the Navy, just immediately returned to his duty station, didn't stay around for the verdict or the rest of the trial. And um, I don't know. One thing that always bothered me about that was, you know, we got a, we got a, like one of those school pictures of Deanna, you know, when she was, uh, I guess, probably three or four, you know, to show the jury what the, what the little girl looked like. And uh, the family didn't even want the photograph back. Uh, and that, I don't know, that was just a little strange, I thought. Um, and uh, I think that his effect in the trial uh, may have given some of the jurors, I don't know this because I haven't spoken to them, but uh, may have given some of the jurors pause about whether or not Bo Bruneman was the actual murderer. And I think there was, you know, they may have felt that uh, David Ollie was had done it and uh, uh, had set Bo up uh, because I think that they were, there was a lot of a lot of drinking involved, is my recollection. So, is there anything you would have done differently? Wait, woulda, shoulda, coulda, huh? Um, I think uh, looking back on it, just from a, a practitioner's perspective, um, I think I would not have put uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think I would not have put David Ollie on the stand uh, because of the because he did come across like that. Uh, and I think that might have given some jurors permission to find uh, Bo not guilty in spite of the fact uh, that we had all that, uh, all the forensic evidence. Um, other than that, uh, uh, no, I, I can't, I can't really think um, there's nothing, you know, we fought about the pornography coming in and we lost that fight and that was the end of it. But I think uh, David Ollie, I think I might not have put, put him up on the stand. Do you, the jury found uh, Bo Bruneman not guilty, kind of, Mr. Ollie had kind of a questionable uh, yeah. 
past. Um, but do you think Bo Bruneman murdered Deanna Oley, despite him being acquitted? Yes, I do. I do. Um, I understand, though, um, I understand how certain doubts might have been raised by a couple of, uh, a couple of things happening during the trial. Um, but uh, had we the same facts, same circumstances over again, we'd go, uh, and I were in the prosecution division, we would go forward with that case against Bo. Uh, you know, as I said, uh, there were some hallmarks, the blood, the pubic hair, um, the DNA, uh, the, the evidence was pretty strong. Jury disagreed, though. I, I still, I, I keep asking this because, you know, you, you did have all of that evidence and yet couldn't get a conviction. Um, I would guess, I mean, an alternate theory would have been that uh, David Ali uh, was attracted to um, incestuous sex. Uh, this child was his daughter. Uh, and that David Ali, uh, you know, I'm not advancing this as a theory. I'm just saying this might have been what the jury was thinking, uh, was that David Ali got Bo, uh, Bo had just passed out on David Ali's couch and uh, David uh, murdered his daughter that night and raped her and tortured her and threw her body in that trash can and then came back in and framed essentially Bo by, you know, Bo being unconscious, uh, uh, smearing Deanna's blood on Bo's underwear and, uh, you know, also harvesting some of his pubic hair and putting it in Deanna. Um, you know, that sounds a little, uh, might sound a little far-fetched, but I think that that might have been a theory that the, some members of the jury uh, adopted. Uh, they're just, uh, I'm just speculating there, of course. So, you know, uh, it was very, very sad, very, very sad case. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, you say it's a very sad case, and I can see even till this day, you still seem kind of emotional about it really still kind of, you know, shaken up uh, about yeah. it. it. You know, uh, Sabrina, these things get, you know, I talked about this. Um, these things get etched in your mind. Uh, I was there when they pulled the body out, uh, you know, to, to block, uh, you know, the, the, the media, you know, of course, we don't want the media taking pictures of the body. Uh, but as we slowly pulled her out of the trash can, uh, myself and some other officers, uh, along with the Guam Fire Department, we, we uh, put up, um, uh, you know, the, the fire department's uh, bed sheet uh, to, to block uh, the fire department and the officers as they pulled uh, her body out of the trash can. And uh, it, it just, I, 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 can I, I can always go back in time uh, to that that day, and uh, just imagine and just reimagine what I saw. You know, the body being pulled out, being uh, put into the ambulance, and driving off. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just one of the more uh, like I said, 
disturbing cases that, that I've seen. Uh, I, and I've seen a lot of homicides. And uh, it's pretty disturbing. But, you know, I feel for the officers uh, who had to attend the autopsy for Diana Ong because that, that's a lot. Man. That, that you're asking a lot from a police officer uh, to walk into a room and, you know, watch a, a little girl get, um, you know, I have to be as graphic, you know, uh, watch a little girl get dissected so that we can, uh, you know, obtain uh, evidence. Unfortunately, the evidence wasn't enough for a conviction. So for you, this case is closed, despite a jury saying he's not guilty. He didn't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I can't think of any other person in that in, in that investigation, in that whole entire investigation. I can't think of any other person whose DNA matched uh, Deanna, uh, the, the uh, DNA on uh, Deanna Ali that, that we found. I can't think of any other person. Um, you know, that that was there who had the opportunity to uh, to uh, do what uh, they did to, to Deanna. You know, uh, we, we narrowed it down. We, you know, we had a time frame. We, we, had, we had DNA evidence. We had the, the circumstantial evidence. You know, we had a timeline of events. Who was there? Who had opportunity? And who, who was in the, uh, in the house? And, uh, you know, I was very saddened, you know, uh, to also, you know, what we uncovered about uh, her father. I mean, it was just uh, sad, you know, that uh, this beautiful little girl grew up in such a, in such an environment. You know, I don't even know what kind of word to use to describe the environment she was growing up in. You know, I mean, it just boggles my mind that, you know, uh, her dad would invite total strangers and have these house parties, you know, um, you know, and, and, and have booze and minors and young adults, you know, just come over. Random people just come over. Uh, it was horrifying. The, uh, the crime scene photos, and, you know, that cute little girl. And um, she, uh, you know, earlier I said she was tortured. She was uh, tortured. Uh, you know, a full-grown man had penetrated her uh, vaginally and anally and uh, she was uh, just four years old. And uh, the amount of blood uh, that was present, I think, tells you uh, the violence of the assault. And then uh, after she died, um, that she was disposed of in that way, uh, it was monstrous. Uh, I don't think there's another word for it. It was monstrous. Tough case, very tough. Yeah. Deanna Ollie would have been around 25 years old today. We, we, we pray for Deanna, you know, um, God rest her soul. And we pray for her family as always. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, we, we always pray also that uh, this never happens again in our community. Uh, because, you know, it, it is shocking and it is disturbing. And, uh, it, you know, something that, you know, we don't, Ever wants to happen on a wish upon anybody else because it's, uh, you know, we, we, we love children, you know, and we, we love people, but we love, you know, we especially love our children. And we want to see them grow up and thrive and succeed. And uh, unfortunately, a little uh, Diana Ali's life was cut short. I hope Steve and those guys who uh, investigated it, you know, I hope they're all right about this. You know, sometimes events can happen that just echo for. 
decades later. And uh, I think it would be a major injustice if people thought that GPD did not do their job. They did their job. And those uh, men and women, they have nothing, nothing to regret. What about you, Tom? You all right? Well, yeah, but uh, I'm like those guys. Yeah, I'm all right, but uh, that was, you know, that was a heavy case, and it's still, it's, you know, it's still here in my chest. So I don't know. I guess we'll let God sort it out, right? Although Bruneman was acquitted on New Year's Eve, 1998, in the new year he was facing another trial for the alleged rape of a teenage girl. Years later, in June 2001, he was also arrested for theft of property. He was released from the Department of Corrections months later. I'm Sabrina Salas-Matanani, and this has been Crimes Without Conviction.